Hola. Hola, Charlito. Charlito. Hola, Charlie. Hey Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Is your name Charles? It's Charlie, not Charles. Enjoy all you're up to here, and I'm, I'm honored to be on the show with you, man. Thank you so much, man, and congratulations on that shirt. It's remarkable. I love it. <laughs> We're trying saying? to get into the Aloha spirit. Dude, I'm trying to get, you know, we got a lot of, we got a lot of different kinds of fruit. We got some avocados, we got some banana, we got some, a lot of good stuff going on here. You know, I'm here in Hawaii right now. And so I'm trying to really embrace that Aloha spirit. Aloha. Many people think that Aloha just means high, right? But yeah. apparently it's an acronym for something much deeper, right? That's true. And I don't. I don't know if you're saying this because we're just super connected, but literally yesterday on my Instagram, I put up all of what every letter represents. Crazy. That's great. It's crazy you're saying that because I literally just put yesterday all of all of the representation of Aloha. And, yeah. and what does it mean? <laughs> you got to look. You got to go to the Insta, man. You got to go to the Insta. It's, it's it's a good. It's a really nice acronym, and I think it's. I think you know, like you said, it's more than just hello. It's more than just a greeting. It's a, it's a right. lifestyle, and it's it represents a lot of different virtues and, and, and values of, of the Hawaiian people and, mm. and, and, and I think it's cool. Okay, dope. Yeah, so, so it's a deeper meaning than just the high, right? It's more yeah. like I wish you a whole bunch of blessings and, you know, beautiful children and food and all of that, right? Yeah. All kinds of good things. All yeah, the good things. Good thing, yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you doing in the big island of Hawaii, brother? So, man, I, I arrived here a month ago. Um, you know, 2020 for, for me and, and like all of us was a, was an intense year of transformation, was an intense year of a lot of, in, a lot of intensity. And, um, you know, I, I decided that I wanted to spend, you know, the, at least the beginning of 2021 immersed in nature. And my business is, has moved pretty much completely remotely at this point. Everything is virtual. Everything's online. And so I can, you know, I'm lucky to be able to work from any anywhere that I want that has a stable internet connection. And Hawaii just felt like a, the right place. I, I've been saying for years, you know, we, we lived so many years together in New York City. And, right. and I've, li I've lived most of my adult life between San Francisco and New York and, and, you know, in Latin America as well. But always in urban environments, always in cities, always with a lot of traffic and a lot of people and density and, 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 and a lot of stimulation, right? Um, but I, I've, I've been saying for years that I really wanted to connect more with nature. And so when 2020 came to a close, I, I spent the entire year in Uruguay. I was in Montevideo, the capital, also very urban. And, and I said, you know, this is really a time where if you don't do this now, you know, you're going to just keep saying you want to do it. And at some point you have to decide, am I going to keep saying I want to do something or am I actually going to do it? And right. so I decided that, you know, Hawaii represents wild nature. It represents so many of the elements. It represents, you know, such vast structure uh around just all kinds of great outdoor activities and so i thought you know let's go for it i have one of my best buddies lives here uh and his and his fiance and i haven't got to spend a lot of extended periods of time with him and, and her and so i thought this would be a great place to kind of jump off for 2021 and man the first month has just been every bit as glorious as i had hoped wow man that's great man. yeah because you know when you go on the internet i've never been to hawaii uh, oh you never been you should come out 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, don't don't say that, man. I'll be there next week if you. <laughs> but yeah. um, you know what I've seen on the internet is just very green, luscious. Uh, do do the images do it justice? You know, sure. The the images are a nice kind of way to whet the appetite, and I think that. You know, the, the thing I love about the Big Island, and again, I'm only five weeks into to my stay here, but the thing I, I really love about it is that it's it's got ocean, it's got mountains, it's got a volcano. You know, I was literally just down at the live volcano a couple of weeks ago That's that was a, has been erupting this month. And it's just, there, there, you know, there's, there's all kinds of amazing tropical food, tropical fruit. Uh, so many people plant their own food. There's a lot of off-the-grid living, a lot of real self-sustaining, you know, self-reliance lifestyles, which I'm very inspired by. And I really want to learn more about that. You know, I really want to learn more about what does it look like to make your own food? What does it look like to live in a place that's powered by solar? What does it look like to capture rainwater to use for your showers and, and live kind of a lighter footprint life? And this is the Mecca of that. And so I'm learning a lot. I'm having a lot of conversations. It's fun because I'm just kind of going through life assuming that I don't know anything because it's a, such a different world than living in a concrete jungle. And, and, you know, we've been able to navigate that world really well. And, and I love cities, but there's something sort of this, this high vibrational, high frequency vibe that's here uh, right. that you don't have the stimulation that you have in a big city in a big city way, but you have equal amounts of stimulation in a natural world way, which I'm interested in exploring more. I love that. It's fair to say that as a vegan, you're not having any issues with food. No, no not at all. I didn't have any issues with food as a vegan in cities either, but uh, okay. it's, it's really, you know, and it's, it's a good question because it's, you know, people really value cooking here. They value where their food comes from. They value the fact that they either grew it themselves or they know the farmer that grew it. And and that's, I think, when you know who grew your food and you know their story. In fact, I buy a lot of my local produce from a guy named Howie, who's from Brooklyn, believe it or not. And he just came out here 40 years ago and just stayed. And, and I think that when you know how hard the person worked to grow your lettuce or your kale or your bok choy or whatever the case may be, you really enjoy it more. It tastes different. It feels different. It, it nourishes you in different ways. And I think that, you know, living in a city for so long, I, I tried to connect with farmers and I think I did a pretty good job for the most part, but it's so easy to get caught up in the convenience of just buying something from the local place that you have no, absolutely no connection to. And, and I think you lose a little bit of that magic that is food. And, you know, you're Dominican, you understand like food is celebrated. And in the Dominican Republic, you know, people, people know their farmers and people, you know, relish that avocado that came right from the tree in the backyard and it makes that guacamole or that meal, you know, even more special. So I think it's a, it's a really cool next chapter and I'm excited about that. And how are they, when I say they, how are the uh, local folks treating you as a North American? Like what is the vibe? It's an interesting, it's an interesting vibe. You know, the island's fairly small. Uh, you can kind of drive from north to south in six hours, probably, and east to west, even in even less amount of time, I think. But, um, you know, I, because it's, because of COVID, there's still not a lot of social interacting. Um, so I've kind of kept fairly isolated. You know, I see my buddy and his fiance and I see the farmers and I see a couple of their friends that I've met, my, my landlords who I'm renting from. And, and we have a nice kind of small community of six, seven, eight people. But for the most part, I haven't been interacting a lot. And 
the people I've been inter- interacting with so far have been from main, the mainland as well. They're not born and raised here in Hawaii. But I will say just in, from interactions in markets and, and other things that I've done out in the world, people seem to be quite nice and um, excited about explaining their culture. You know, last weekend we were at a farmer's market and, and there's this, there's this fruit called breadfruit and it's, it's, it's ulu. It's called in the Hawaiian, it's the Hawaiian word for breadfruit. And it's, it's kind of a, it's a starch. It's a potato almost. And you can make ulu fries and you can make ulu stew and you can make all kinds of stuff. But they were so excited. They were part of a, I think it was called the Hawaiian cultural center. And they were so excited to explain to us how you plant an ulu and how ulu can actually go on to feed a lot of the people in the, in the state that don't have access to high quality food and, and so I do, you know, much like in Latin America, much like everywhere I've traveled, I find a lot of people that are very proud and very eager to teach about their culture. And there's so much here um, that, 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 so, so I think the, the quick answer to your question is people have been very nice and excited about sharing. And I look forward to meeting more and more and, and, and diving deeper into the culture that I know is here. That's great. Man. You see yourself traveling to other neighboring islands? Yeah, I think, you know, for now I'm not, jumping on a plane at the first chance I get. I think, you know, there's so much here to explore mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a big island, right? Yeah. The big island is, is great. And I, I think that, you know, you know, it's interesting. I know you're a traveler too. One of the things that I noticed last year when I was in Uruguay, you know, I was supposed to be in Uruguay for one month and I ended up staying the entire year uh, because the airport closed. And what I noticed is I live a pretty fast life. I travel a bunch. I, I jump around country to country, city to city. And what I noticed was there's real value in digging deep in one place. Right. Uh, I, I'm a traveler. I love traveling. I think that we were meant to move uh, a lot. I think that no, we're nomadic by ancestry. And, and I think that that's something that I celebrate and try to tap into as much as I can. But at the same time, I did find that there is a lot of really power revelations and, and, and gems that you find living in a day-to-day life in a country or a city that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And you just can't possibly go as deep as you could in a month in one year. And so I'm kind of adopting that same mindset here. I don't, I'm not eager to jump on a plane and go somewhere else because I just got here. And, and normally, you know, I'd say I've been here for a month or five weeks or whatever. And now it's like, yeah, I'll do one more month and then I'll go see what else is going on in the world. But I do think that this is kind of a shift in my mindset where, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months is, is, is a good amount of time to really dig in and, and get to know the people and the culture and the routines and the day-to-day life where there is a lot of magic. Very, very uh, similar to relationships, right? Sometimes you just need to dig in and give that, you know, situationship or relationship some time to really understand, yeah. you know, what you're working with and what the potential of that can be based on just you experiencing it. Um, For sure. You know, and and I I, I said it before, uh, I think many people would want to follow you, follow your footsteps in traveling, you know, the way you do, right? You know, but you do it in a way where you don't care, man. You just pick up and go. And and we're so caught up, especially folks in New York. And, you know, and I'm not talking about everyone, but, you know, many of us, I would say, are, you know, just caught up in the rat race, caught up in the routine, not understanding that there's so much life outside of New York. 
and I'm not talking about going for a weekend or you know or going for a week as a as a tourist. I'm talking about engaging with the people, eating the local foods. But you know, it's good for folks to see you engaging with these countries in that way, you know, mm. in that way with respect and appreciation and with a curious mind. Yeah. You know? I appreciate right. that, man. And I think, you know, I think too I love New York. I love New York City. I think it's probably my favorite place in the whole world uh, that I've ever been. I, I've never felt more at home than I have in New York City. I'm not from New York originally, but I've lived, you know, 10 of the last 15 years of my life there. And and I think that, you know, I always say people are like, should I move to New York? And I always say you should. Every I think everybody in the world should live in New York City for a while. And I think that everybody that's from New York City should leave leave New York City for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that New York, New York, you get caught up in it's a magical place, man. And there's a lot of, there's, you know, there's, it's so fast. And there's, so, I always say the best thing for me about New York is that in every, in any second of any day of any month of any year, your life can completely change. And there's such density to the city that you can meet somebody that changes your life, whether it be professionally, romantically, friendship, uh, you know, an opportunity to give back, whatever, pay it for whatever. And I think that people get sort of, I don't want to say addicted to it, but they, they like that. It's a stimulation that you can't find in a lot of parts of the world. That being said, I think that New York City um, is not the, 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 the end-all, be-all. And I think that, that people you know, need to, to sort of step out of that hustle to, to get quiet in their own minds about, you know, what, mostly why am I doing this, right? And I think that, you know, just for being such great friends with you for so long, you know, I really admire your ability to, you know, you grew up in Harlem, you, you know, you grew up Dominican in Harlem, you know, with a lot of societal pressures and New York pressures, Dominican pressures, all kinds of pressures. And I think that you have done a great job of, even though you've, you've never left living in New York city full time, I think you've made a really conscious choice to, look inside and say, like, what do I want? What does Charlie Vargas want? Not not what does my Dominican homies on the corner want? Not what does my mom want? Not what does my sister want? What do I want? And I think, you know, starting even starting this podcast, I think, is a great example of, you, say, you know, I want to have interesting conversations. Maybe this doesn't lead to me getting more Leo clients. Maybe this doesn't lead to direct cash flow. It's a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources, but it makes me happy and it enriches my life. And I think that, you know, a lot of us need to do m- more of that in, in, in trying to find things that we want to do because we want to do it, not because we want to have a nice apartment overlooking Central Park or, or whatever the case may be, a nice car in New York or, or, or you know, a six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure job that we hate. I think it's just taking a step out of New York in general is a good, is a good thing to do because it can kind of help you align more with your internal values in ways that maybe you couldn't if you were living that day-to-day grind there. Of course, man. The cultural pressures are real. I remember, I remember when I left uh, Harlem to go to school in Buffalo. You know, you noticed the difference, the change in attitude um, amongst the people right away. You know, um, yeah. I was always, you know, wanting to, you know, dress fresh um, <laughs> when I was living in, in New York City, and then when I was in Buffalo, I had no qualms with walking around with a coffee-stained hoodie. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. days in a row. So. You're right. Sometimes, you know, you have to get away from New York and those cultural pressures to be able to enjoy the luscious Hawaiian, you know, island or or even go to Cuba and understand the culture, you know, the, the culture that's not promoted, the culture that exists within that country. Um, 
And, and sometimes it's not for business reasons. It's not, you know, to put a dollar in your pocket. And, yeah. and, you know, and that's, it took some time, especially, uh, you know, coming from an immigrant background, you know, where my folks moved out here, left everything that they knew for the purposes of just achieving a better life, you know, and, yeah. and to them that meant uh, being financially in a better situation. So if you weren't that, you weren't pursuing that better life, but no, Thank God with the education that I was provided due to their efforts, I can understand that a better life is not necessarily financial yet, you know, um, it's great to be, you know, somewhat stable and, and, and be able to be independent, but it's really about how you approach it and doing the things that you want to do. Yeah. And I think too, I think too, Charlie, like the, the, you know, the, something that is coming to me as you're speaking is like, this idea that what I found truly liberating about moving to New York City is that nobody knew me. I didn't have to be anybody for anything. I didn't have to be anything for anybody, right? And 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 then eventually, when you live in a place long enough, you, you, people do start to know you, and then there are some expectations, and then the pressures come in. And I think that that, you know, if anyone's listening or watching this right now and you feel like, ah, this is not me. I'm not being me, but I feel so deep in the pressure of it all. Maybe this is a good chance for you to rethink and, and and give yourself that opportunity to go somewhere new where nobody knows you, even if it's you know Cuba for three months while while you kind of figure it out. But I, I think that this idea of arri- arriving in a place where nobody knows you and nobody is attaching anything to you know no one is trying to project a story onto you is really refreshing. And you know, you I arrive in Hawaii, nobody has a clue who I am. Yeah, I have uh, you know an online presence and all that. They can look online, but. You can, you can recreate that, and, and in some cases, you can you can abandon that if, if it's if it's not serving you any longer. And I think that that's a really, uh, if anything, you know, if twenty twenty taught us anything, I think it's this this identity that so many people were clinging to just got shattered, right. flipped upside down because it's no longer your identity. And then the question becomes, now what? Yeah. And with in the now what is endless opportunity for reinvention and endless opportunity for recreation of a life that you get to start from scratch in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of people lost jobs. We lost a lot of business in 2020. I mean, I lost 75% of my business in 2020. And so then you say, now what, you know, like you gotta, you have to figure it out. And, and you realize how quickly everything can be stripped, whether it be, you know, in this case, a global pandemic, but in other cases, you know, it's a hospital bill and then all of a sudden you're in debt or it's a student debt or it's a lot of different things. And, and, and your business goes under or somebody, you know, needs help and then you have to provide for more. And then the question becomes, how do I want to spend my time? And, you know, there's all kinds of practicality behind that question. Yeah. You have to pay the rent. Yeah. you, You might have a family of miles to feed and I get all that. But I, I also think that you are at your best physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually when you're doing something that you actually believe in. And if you're not doing that, and you know if you're not doing that, you, you know. You know, you can pretend like you are and you can rationalize it in a lot of different ways. But if you're not doing it, then maybe it's time to take a small step towards getting closer to that thing that you want to do. And I think that that's what 2020 taught us, really. Right, right. Um... Yeah, man, because, look, you're one of my favorite human beings because uh, you're constantly seeking a life that's worth living. You know, you're breaking personal barriers on the daily. 
uh, you know, crushing goals uh, with impressive speed. And, you know, for the world to stop the way that it did, how did you take that? Like, you know, how, and how did these lessons come to you? You know, I well, losing 75% of your business, that's one way, right? Yeah. Like, you were also in a country that you were <laughs> visiting, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You had to stay there. And yeah. Why. That's right. That's right. Um, so, you know, I think the first kind of couple of weeks, so, you know, I went down in February, I had a, a ticket that was supposed to come, you know, February 25th, I was supposed to return a month later, March 25th, I had a keynote speech at Fordham School of Business on March 28th, March, March 9th, I think, we start to hear about this thing, coronavirus, and it's starting to, you know, I get, a, I get an email from the Department of Transportation or some, one of these government agencies, and they say, you know, if you want to return to the U.S., you should do it right now because things are getting worse everywhere and, and you may not be able to return to your home country. Hmm. And in that moment, I was down there and I was connecting with, with somebody romantically who I had just met in New York late January. Hmm. And, and I thought, you know, I, I kind of want to see where this goes. And I'm not really in a huge rush to get back to New York. And so let me, let me, you know, this can't last this long, right? It's exactly. maybe, maybe another month, two months, right? Yeah. Maybe another month maybe another two months. And, and then we'll see how we're doing, you know, and March 16th airport closes and then it doesn't open back up until September, October. And um, so, so, you know, the, that I give you that context because the first couple weeks, you know, from March 16th until let's say April 16th, and then I get clients emailing me saying like, hey, I can't pay. Hey, I, I can't use your services anymore. I mean, we were doing video production. We were doing podcast production. We were doing, you know, I was giving conferences all over the world. I had so many, I had a Fulbright project lined up in, in August in Colombia. I'm giving like, you know, five or six conferences that are booked out in the next three or four months. Everything canceled. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, man, and I was pretty bummed for the first two two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And I even started to feel slightly depressed and I thought like, what am I going to do? You know, I got people on the payroll. I got freelancers. I got, I had some employees at the time and I, and I had to let people go and that sucks. And, um, and so I kind of, you know, the first thing is you, you, you gotta, you gotta put the oxygen mask on first, right? Yourself. And so I realized, all right, I need to, I need to let people go. And that's not fun. People have been with me for years and I love and cherish and adore and think of as family. And then, you, and then you realize, like, all right, this thing isn't going away. The cases just kept skyrocketing. And so you, you have two choices. And I think it's – I really believe this about life in general. You can either dwell and complain about the way that things are and the way that you wish they were, mm -hmm. right, and the way that they were, or you can recreate uh, towards the way that things are going. And I just – I spent a month kind of dwelling and complaining and then one day I just said, you know what? This is ridiculous. Like you're, you're healthy. Your family's healthy. You're 37 years old. You built a business once. And, you know, I still had some clients and I knew what to do. I mean, I, it wasn't like I had no idea what to do next. I knew that I could lean on my writing skills and I could still do online consulting and I could still do online conferences. But it was just a matter of making that mental shift, you know, and so – that was kind of how I dealt with it. I spent a month down and then I said enough. And then from that point on, I really focused on what I could focused on the good focused on what was happening around me and turned out to have a, a really powerful year. Um, 
in every area of my life. And I think it's, it's just that quick mindset shift around how it was is no longer let it go or get eaten alive by this notion of this past or live in perpetual anxiety of a hypothetical future that you have no control over. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I'm promising myself in 2021 that so far I've been doing a really good job of is just living today. Like I know, I know that's cliche and everyone says it, but honestly, the more I live in a hypothetical future, the more I, 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 I rack my brains around logistical energy vampire sucking details, the more I really take away from my, my happiness in the moment. And I've just, I promised myself that every day I'm going to do the best I can where I am right now to live with what I have right now in front of me. And it's been powerful so far. I, I agree with you in that, you know, you have to see the light eventually people like you and I, you know, and I, and I say that because we always figure it out in the end. Uh, but shit, man, in the beginning, this whole pandemic uh, tapped into my existential nature. You know, um, no one prepares you for how jaded adulthood is. And, and this <laughs> was like an example uh, of, of where I carried that sentiment. You know, it's the, it's knowing the, the knowing that sometimes there is no rhyme or reason, right? That things happen to good people. People were just like losing their lives. Friends were, yeah. uh, you know, I had some friends that lost both, both of their parents. Um, and then, you know, as far as like economic relief, you see a system that propag that propagates profits over people, uh, bullshit stimulus check, and you know, that trickles down to the social and political attitudes and the way people treat each other in broad and intimate spaces. You know, so to me, like the question then became what, then what? You know, mm -hmm. and, and one of my favorite authors, uh, Victor Frankel, uh, the author of The Man's Search for Meaning, he yep. said, what is to give light must endure burning. That mm -hmm. you are responsible for that light, the mm -hmm. why to live in order to bear with the how. Yeah. You know, and, and I think and I think you do a great job in asking yourself those questions, those necessary questions. Would, would you agree? I, I, I appreciate that. I try to. I think, you know, there's kind of an important distinction here in my mind with, you know, this A Man's Search for Meaning. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books. And, and, and the thing that I keep reminding myself is like, you know, the, the, there's a massive amount of privilege around my life. And I think that, you know, Viktor Frankl was a was a he was in a concentration camp, right? And I mean, he lived his whole life in the concentration camp, and the only thing that got him through was this idea of seeing his wife again, right? And so uh, that's not my reality. I'm not living in a concentration camp. I'm not, I mean, I'm living, I was living, uh, you know, with someone that I was getting to know. I was living in a safe home. I was living in a country that was relatively safe in terms of the coronavirus. We had a relatively normal life, you know? And so, I think a reality check is important when you're playing this whole like, oh, my life is so hard. Yeah, I lost a lot of business, and yeah, I couldn't return to the U.S. But at the same time, I was enjoying being in Uruguay, and I knew how to regenerate more business. And like you said, everyone was healthy. I mean, my my the people that I most loved were healthy. Even some of them that got COVID didn't didn't have any really intense experiences. I had very close people to me that I know whose parents passed away. I had pe people whose cousins passed away. I know people that died. So I think that the, the, what I keep trying to come to is these decisions that I make on a daily basis, um, 
that that are inspiring for people, I also recognize that they come from a place of, of privilege and they also come from a place of, um, you know, yes, I've created a lot of these opportunities for myself, but also, you know, I've had a lot of amazing people in my life that have also been very helpful for me along the way. And this idea of like, I'm a self-made man, I never quite understood, right? It's like, everybody's kind of helping everybody in different ways that they can. And so I, I, I keep that very present. And I, I try to, you know, there's a book that I read, The Japanese Art of Tidying Up, I think it's called. There's a, a Marie Kondo is the, the, the author. She's great. She, she has a series on Netflix. And she basically has this method where she helps people declutter their lives. And in her book, she was talking about this, she, she used to like beg and nag and put herself on this pedestal towards her parents and her family. Like, why don't you clean your room? Why don't you clean the house? You need to do this and this and this. And then one day she said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to go into my room and I'm going to clean my room the way that I'm at, that I wish they would clean theirs. So she goes in and she organizes everything and it's beautiful. And she designs the space in this impeccable way. And her parents walk in and they see the room and they say, oh, my gosh, what did you do in here? Can you do that with us? <laughs> and she's like, I've been trying to tell you this for the last five years or whatever. And But it was that moment where, where she realized, like, all I can do is clean my own room. And so I, I feel that way a lot. You know, I feel like I have a lot to share and I have a lot of things that I think work for me. And in the past, I, I've, I've really kind of tried to. To, to, to direct people and this is how you should be living. But what I've realized, Charlie, is like mm. everyone is so complex and everybody's life is so different. And really, I have completely lost interest in trying to tell anyone else what to do. Mm. And all I can do is what I can do. And if that inspires somebody like it's inspired you, that's amazing. And if someone looks at me and is like, I can't connect to that guy at all, that's fine too. And I just think that we've, we, we really need to just take full accountability and responsibility for our own lives. And then the right people, you know, I've, I've become obsessed with this idea of like the diameter. I used to want to reach millions of people on Facebook and Instagram and how many people are watching my stories. And it's like, I just, that feels so fleeting to me at this point. It's more like who is, who is the universe placing in your diameter, you know, in Spanish diameter, like your diameter, who are people, who is the universe placing in your, in your life in this moment? And how can you do something to help them and, and, and help them in a way that they have expressed to you that they need help, not me telling you what you need. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, you know, it's who's in my, who's in my, in, in my Camino right now and what do they need? And am I able to help in some way? And if I can cool and if I can't cool, but that's sort of my sphere of influence that I, that I view right now. I agree with you, you know, and me finding meaning throughout this process, you know, um, you know, just like you, uh, you know, my, my journey was to just focus on the forward, uh, you know, not deterred mm -hmm. by what exists outside of me, uh, because you were either on social media or, you know, you would turn on the news and there was like chaos everywhere. And you can't control that. You can only control what's inside of you. So, you know, I, I um, pledged to myself that I was going to approach it with patience, uh, you know, consistency in my in my own goals. And, and with a curious mind, but not a curious mind that was going to lead me into, again, existential waters or, you know, wanting to control others and the world and, and what I saw, right? Like, I, I had no control over that. Uh, when it 
to focus more on, on love, on being close to love, you know, being close to my humanity. Uh, I saw myself reaching out to people that I've never, I hadn't reached out to in years to see mm-hmm. how they were. You know, I had conversations, I had Zoom conversations that were deeper than any personal conversations that I've had with those individuals, you know, um, yeah. in this time. So, you know, there was definitely a shift um, that I think aligns with, with, with what you were saying. You know, it's, it's interesting because I was reading this book uh, by Sebastian Junger and it's called The Tribes or it's called Tribe. And it was talking about how... Um, tribal civilizations tended to be happier than um, mostly developed nations, right? Many of the, uh, many of the uh, tribal members focus on the self-determining theory uh, for happiness. And, you know, and in that theory, they focused on really three things, which was one, um, being good at what you do, like really investing in being good at what you're spending your, your time doing. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. for work, you know, whatever role that you have in society, right? Um, and uh, second was uh, living an authentic life, right? Living an authentic life. And third, it was building community, having, feeling a sense of community around you. And mm-hmm. I think, wow, like, no wonder why, you know, our country, when I say our country, because I know you're a global citizen, I'm not sure if you, if you still, uh, you know, express yourself in that way, but Many folks are are working in professions um, long hours for the sake of making money. That's the culture. That's the culture. There's no surprise as to why we have such high suicide and depression rates in this country. Mm. You know, compared to the, those tribal civilizations that that Junger referenced in his book. Also, mm. when it came to living authentic lives, you know, like if you're if you're spending most of your life, um, you know, at a job that you hate, but you know, gives you the nice car, you know, gives you the nice house, eventually that's going to wear down. It's going to wear you out, man. It's going to burn you out. And then next thing you know, you look up, you're 58, 65, whatever. And you're like, where has my life gone? Yep. You know? Totally. Totally agree. And I haven't connected with the people that I really, truly wanted to connect with. You know, yes, I'll send them Christmas gifts or, you know, but I, I, I would pay for their college tuition. But like, I've always done a really good job in preserving community. Um, and, you know, and just having people around you that you care for and being of service. You know, in this, in this age of social media, we are more distant than ever. Agreed. You, know, you go to tables, restaurant tables, and you see people on their fucking phones. And you're like, bro, like, it's really hard to get a friend's attention nowadays. You know, so I started realizing, like, wow, like, maybe let me see if I start to focus on those three elements in my life. And let me see if my life improves in, in terms of happiness and, and what I've seen um, mm. now has been mm. incredible results, man, incredible results. And talking about, again, talking about community, man, you know, there's not enough time for me to list the reasons why you are such a dear friend that I love. But one of the things that, that I can highlight is your sense of community, the way you interact with your friends uh, and your family, you know, you're so thoughtful. I remember when I was in law school and I was stressed out over that damn exam, that bar exam. You came through with brain food. Now, look, I was really... Like, <laughs> I remember that. I ate such a chon platanos, you know, for, for breakfast. I ate such a chon with rice. <laughs> I ate such a chon with 
right? And then all of a sudden, Brian shows up to the library with like a bag, a tray. Walnuts, blueberries. I remember. Walnuts. And I'm like, what the fuck? Avocado. I remember all the healthy fats. And I, I, I saw you and I was like, man, you know, it's funny. I remember that day so vividly. And, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I really respect this guy because, and you were working so hard to make that happen. And I remember, I remember that day vividly, man. Thank you for bringing that back to my attention because until right now, I had, I had, I had remembered it. And my mom loves you. My sister loves you. My sister, my sister's a known friend stealer. She's notorious. <laughs> she was trying to like, you know, you have your own, uh, you know, friendship with my sister, which is a beautiful. Yeah. Thing. My sister's, I mean, my mother's always asking about you. Ibrahim, Ibrahim, I don't in Colombia. I'm in Colombia. In Colombia. Todavía. Because, you know, you're, you're, you know, last, you know, I think it was like two years ago, I think you were in Colombia for most of the year. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, man, so, you know, I just want to commend you on that. And, and I've learned so much on how to connect with others and how to really be present with others um, by, by just observing you. You know, you're, you're a big advocate for, uh, you know, not taking phone calls when you're hanging out with friends. Like, not, I, not even, the, phone, the phone's not out. That's, that's a rule. Like... And I, I was going to say, and I, thank you for all the kind words, and I, I love you too, man. I love your family. I love, I love, I love our friendship. I love what we've built, and I, I can't wait to do it for the next five decades. But um, you know, for me, it was I've I've no I, I don't understand why you would go out to dinner with somebody and then you would be on your phone. Right. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't get it. it it's it's saying that. Whatever's happening on your phone is more interesting than whatever's happening in front of you. Right, and if that, if that was the case, <laughs> if that was the case, like, why do you even go out? So I remember, you know, having that rule and even it's a fun thing for, 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 you know, the, the crew that's listening or, or watching. Next time you go out to dinner with a group of friends, have everybody put the phone in the middle of the table. The first person to reach for their phone has to pay for dinner. Put that rule out there at the very beginning. I promise you nobody's going to be on their phone during dinner. And it's a great rule. I do it all the time. Everybody put their phone in the middle of the table. First person to reach for it pays for the entire meal. And, 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 you know, and, and I think that, and listen, I'm not, I'm not perfect in, in the phone world. I'm, I'm, it's a struggle that I deal with constantly. I'm on my phone more than I'd like to be. I recently deleted all social media off my phone, which has been really great. Um, so I have no social media on my phone. I can't access any of it from my phone. And I decided, and recently I also made a rule, you know, it's, it, what I've, what I've learned is you gotta, uh, you, you sort of have to set policies so that people don't get upset. And, and what I mean by that is, so I, I now have a new policy that is, I do, I will not be on any group text message. Group text messages for me are my definition of, a, of an absolute nightmare. Um, because first of all, I'm a people pleaser. And so the idea of uh, when a message comes in, I feel like I need to respond, which I was talking to my buddy Alex today in the gym. And that is, that is such a ludicrous expectation that we have on us. It's like no, no time in history has any human being ever had to, had to be so responsive as we are now. You would get a letter and then you could think about the letter and you could rewrite the letter and then you would send the letter in the mail and then the mail, it would take a week or two weeks or a month to arrive. And then that person could think the speed and the expectation of speed at which we are expected to reply is not healthy. And it's, it's, it's just, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And so, 
you know, I'm a people pleaser, so I do want the people around me to feel good and I want them to feel heard and seen and all these things. And when I start to get messages that come in, my my instinct right away is I should reply to them so that they feel like I'm interested and I'm, I'm listening to them. But I don't want to reply. I'm writing something or I'm in deep thought or I'm reading something. And, and you know, you've read all the studies, but the second that you leave what you're doing, it takes you, you know, several minutes to get back into that. Right. And so if every five minutes you're going for a text, you're actually wasting half of the hour just just trying to get back in a zone. Forget about the actual time you're spending on the messaging. Right. Right. So that being said, I, I said as a policy, like, hey, guys, I'm off all group text messages. And what I say to people is like, it's nothing personal. I love you. I love this group. I, I, I just told my family last week, like, guys, I'm off the family group text. Like they don't bring me joy. I love all of you. I'm here for you. Call me, text me. Let's have individual conversations. But these sort of like, how's everybody's day going? How's the weather? I just, it just doesn't do anything for my life force. And so I say as a policy to keep me focused on my own world and my own work and all these things, I'm not doing group text messages anymore. And so I think that this idea of, and as a policy, when I go out to dinner with someone, you know, they check their phone because they have something, whatever. But it, unless you are expecting something from somebody that you need to be attentive to your phone, then let's spend the next 60, 90, 120 minutes like with each other. Right. And, and, and so that's something that's really helped me setting policies around social media. The phone's not a social media platform anymore. I'm not on group texts anymore. I'm not on my phone at dinner anymore. I used to do this thing where I would never pull out my phone if I was in public. Mm-hmm. When I lived in San Francisco, my phone would never get pulled out unless I was looking for directions. And, and you just start to see, wow, I didn't know that, that tree was there. Wow, that girl's pretty. Maybe I should talk to her. Or wow, I didn't know that that cafe was there. All of a sudden, you start to actually live life. And then you're like, wow, there's actually a hell of a lot more life than this thing. And this is isolating, you know? And so um, it, that's, that's kind of my – and again, I'm not trying to say, like, I have it all figured out. I don't. I get frustrated with myself constantly. But those are some things that have started to help me in 2021 that I think – um, I'd like to share with people that are listening. Yeah, yeah. You know, and also there's so much pressure like from your friends like, oh, didn't you get my message on social media? I posted I, it. And I'm like, you're on. like, I, I did. I did get your message. You know, and, and you know, the other day uh, someone invited me, well, four people invited me to join Clubhouse. I'm not sure if you're on it. Um, <laughs> I'm not, no. And I was like, you know what? All right, so maybe it's educational. I'll log in um, and stop the notifications from showing up on my phone whenever there's like a new group and a new topic and then the other day i'm like damn i keep getting these freaking um alerts this person that i went to high school with he's in clubhouse and they're talking about this topic the last one was the topic was digital minimalism and i'm like (laughs) how fucking funny is that i'm here trying to like not pay attention to my phone and clubhouse is letting me know that there's a discussion on digital minimalism I was like, you know what? I got to stop it, man. So I got to be a lot better with that. I'm a terrible multitasker. Me too. So, so I Me really too. resonate with what you said about like jumping from one task to the next. It just takes forever. So Me too. I, th- I think I think it's a man thing. And I know that, you know, there's not a lot of generalizations that, that do, I think, add up. But I think women are much better at multitasking. I can't, I can't even, I, you know, I love to cook and I, I cook a lot. I cannot prepare a meal if someone's talking to me. I cannot focus on both. And, and, and you know, I've been around women, my mother, my sister, partners in the past, whatever. 
that can talk, that can cook, that can be listening, changing the music. And I'm just, you know, I think it's a motherly thing. It's almost like a matronly thing. You can, the motherly instinct allows you to basically have to do a lot of things at once. And I think men, we've just been like hunters, you know, it's like hunt. Ah. That's probably why my mother, you know, here I am trying to like meditate and focus on one thing. And my mother's calling me, telling me I'm not doing enough. Right. So because she's doing <laughs> well, your she's mother, doing. your mother has a lot of energy, bro. So, you know, energy, your mother, and, your mother you know, is a force of nature. Uh, you know, she's another episode, man. But, um, <laughs> you know, going back to family, bro, you know, because I know how close you are with family, yeah. you know, with your mother, your pops, you know, your, your brother, your sister, Katie, you know, how's she doing? She's doing she's okay? A, she's amazing. She's getting married in August, bro. What? She's getting married. She's yeah. getting married. She's you amazing. Probably getting a big kiss, man, for me. I will, you know, I haven't seen her since Christmas of 2019. I didn't you know, see her. I didn't so see her all year. I want to ask you, like, how do you deal with being away from loved one from uh, being away uh, from loved ones during this pandemic? How did they respond to you being in another country? I'm sure your your mother and your father were like, Brian, find a way. Yeah, for sure. At the beginning, my mom said, like, the second you have your, the first coronavirus case in Uruguay, you need to come home. And I think that what I've learned, you know, as now I'm 38 years old and, and um, I've, been, I've been living outside of my parents' house for the last 20 years. I left home when I was 18 and I haven't ever lived. I haven't been back there um, except for, you know, trip, you know, quick trips to see them for holidays and so forth. But what I, re- what I learned with your parents and I think that with people in general is like your part of your job is to is to report the truth back to them in a way that will ease their minds. Um, and, you know, we, we are so conditioned to choose fear before we see good. It's just how we've, you know, again, it's a lot of it is going back to evolution. Like when we were out in the woods, when we saw an apple tree or we saw a lion, our ancestors picked, put their focus on the lion and ran away before they were like grabbing an apple and then getting eaten by a lion. And so that's, that's good. That's how we got to be where we are today because otherwise they would have been eaten by the line. Right. But, but in our deep ancestral DNA, we are programmed to choose fear. It's why news stations only put bad news because they know that's what you watch. That, that means that they can drive advertising money. That means they make money. It's why there's hardly any good news on news mm-hmm. um, because they know exactly what's going on with your brain. So when, when, when a parent or when a loved one or anybody hears that there is some danger looming, then your responsibility very quickly is to, is to actually speak to them honestly. So what I told my parents was like, hey, guys, I know you're worried, but it's actually a lot better here than it is where you are, and here's why. And that gave them a lot of peace. And then, you know, parents, like everybody, just want to know that you're around people that will take care of you, that will keep you safe and you know, for me, this last year, connecting with Jimena was, was my partner's name um, from, from Uruguay. Uh, her parents were super supportive. She was super supportive. And, and so I was very well taken care of. And that gave my parents a lot, of, a lot of peace. So I think the first thing we have to keep in mind is, like, giving them a true reflection. I wasn't saying, like, anything that wasn't true. I was, you have to come into your power and say, like, I hear you. I know that you care for me. But here's why I'm not going to do what you're suggesting. And then give them the reasons. And ultimately, they can agree with it or disagree with it. You can still make your own decision. But I found that laying things out in a calm way was really important. And it really gave my parents a lot of peace of mind and a lot of peace of heart. 
Uh, in terms of how do I deal with being far from family, I, you know, I, I this is kind of a, a, a self-awareness thing, I guess, where I, I love my family so much, um, but I don't think it would be good for me or for my relationship with my family to be very close to them uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, because, you know, my parents live in a small town in the middle of Illinois called Peoria, Illinois. And I love, I love a lot of things about Peoria, Illinois, but it doesn't have any of the cultural uh, needs that I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not a culturally diverse place in ways that I, that I love. And so, you know, I see my parents as often as I can. I think we have a great relationship. I love my parents. I'm grateful for my parents. I adore my parents. But I think at a certain point, you know, you have to move into a place where you're doing what's best for you because ultimately that's going to make your relationship with your parents better. I teach a leadership course at Fordham's School of Business. And the number one thing that I hear, the number one thing that I hear from all these students is I say, you know, what What do you want to do? And they tell me, well, this is what I want to do. And then I say, well, why do you want to do it? And if I dig deep, almost 95% of the time, it's because my parents want me to do it. And I, and I always sort of think that you have, you have a choice to make early on in life, in your late teens, early 20s, and in some cases even in your 30s. You can either have a hard conversation with your parents right now about why you're not going to do what they want you to do. And it's going to be a little tense, and they might feel disappointed, and they might throw some guilt at you, and they might disconnect you from their financial security or whatever the case may be. And it may be your relationship gets strained for a year or two, but ultimately – you're setting yourself up for 30, 40, 50 years of a positive, healthy relationship with your parents because you chose to have a hard conversation and then have one year of awkwardness. Mm. On the flip side, what a lot of people do is they do whatever their mom and dad want them to do for the next 30. And then when they're 50, they're so mad at their parents. And actually, throughout their 20s and 30s and 40s, they've been so mad and resentful of their parents that they force them to do the thing that they're doing that their relationship is completely deteriorated. And the irony is they're still not doing what they love. They're not even doing what they like, and they hate their parent. Instead of doing what they love and loving their parent, but having that hard, awkward moment. So I I think that it's really, you know, I'm sure you have a very diverse audience, Charlie, because you're a dynamic guy. But if you're in a position right now where you're asking, where, where you're doing something because your parents want you to, and you actually don't want to be doing that, the single best thing that I think you could take from this episode is just have a loving conversation with them and say, Dad, I love you and I don't want to let you down. I know you want me to be a lawyer, and I know that you have a lot of pride in telling your friends that I'm in law school, but I actually don't want to be a lawyer. And I want to, I, I really, I want to please you, but, and I, I, it would mean the world to me if you could support me, but I'm not going to go to law school anymore. Instead, I want to make movies. Instead, I want to be a seventh grade teacher. Instead, I want to coach basketball in college. And, you know, two things will happen. Either your dad will say no, and then you got to make the hard decision to go and do it anyway, or he'll say, okay, and then you're free. If he says no, here's what, here's what ends up usually happening. If you go off and do your own thing. Eventually, you're going to either be right about your skills or not, right? 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you're either going to be that movie maker or that coach or that great teacher or not. And if you are, I guarantee you that your dad is going to be bragging to his friends about you being a great teacher. 
about you being a great filmmaker. All they really want is for you to be successful and happy, and they are pushing onto you what they think that is. You know, I, I really believe in this message a lot. It's hard, but it's the most one of the most important decisions you can make. I mean, my dad is an amazing guy, and he really he really kind of pushed me to leave Peoria and leave Illinois, and you know, Lebanese guy, immigrant story as well, like really you know hard worker. Was working at the family supermarket from age thirteen, bagging ice. But he always wanted me to be a lawyer. I mean, every time we would talk about any profession, he would say, you should just be a lawyer. You should just be a lawyer. You should be a lawyer. And finally, I, I thought to myself, like, I don't want to be a lawyer. And I told him that. And he was kind of like skeptical at first. And he was like, well, what are you going to do? You know? And I was like, well, there's a lot of things I can do. And now my dad brags to everyone about me as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, as a writer. So I think that, and I have a great relationship with him. So I think that, you know, it's, it's really, it's really it's really an important thing. And it's, it's a bit kind of convoluted in the sense of like, but my dad's going to hate me for a year. And then no, he's actually going to love you for 30 or 40 and be proud of you. And that's a lot better than you hating him for 30 or 40 and still hating your life. I imagine you had that conversation when you graduated law school, right? Um, well, even, even before law school, Charlie, like law school for me, I went to law school because I wanted to be the mayor of New York city. Like I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to be in politics. I didn't, I didn't ever want to be a lawyer. I had no interest in being a lawyer. Um, but again, even politics like, was something my brothers, you know, kind of pushed for me. He said, you should be a politician. You would be great. You're great. And, and eventually I just realized, man, I just, I don't want to be a politician. I don't want to work in city government, like as a full-time employee for the rest of my life. I, there's a lot of things I want to do. I have a lot to share and I want to see the world more than anything. And I want to figure out a way that I can use my skill set to see the world and still make a good living while still using that skill set. You making those decisions and actually having conversations with me about the way you were thinking about making those decisions, despite, you know, putting all that work in law school, um, really opened my eyes. Because when you told me that, when you told me that you did not want to become an attorney, you know, me as a son of an immigrant, you know, also completing law school, you know, it was inconceivable for me yeah. to say that yeah. I didn't want to be an attorney, you know. Um, and, and, you know, and if there's anything that happens Anything that comes from this podcast, you know, you know, it's okay if it, if it doesn't become successful or, you know, whatever, I'm okay with that, you know, but what I do want to do is like encourage folks that are out there, folks that come from immigrant backgrounds or, or from different types of backgrounds, but for whatever reason, cultural expectations keep them in paths that are not, that are not giving them fulfillment taking that leap of faith sometimes mm -hmm. in you know in the communities that i you know in the community that i come from it's like no like you take the path that will ensure you you know um better finances you have to be conservative with your with your movements and 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 to see the freedom that you displayed when you said no you know what i don't want to do that you yeah. know to me it was, was super inspiring well this podcast is a product of of, of that kind of influence where I'm like, you know what, this is not making me money, you know, and I'm sure it can possibly can. I, I haven't even thought about it in this way yet. This is something that I like to do. This is yeah. something, you know, just engaging with people that I respect and I admire, um, you know, with a curious mind brings me tons of happiness and fulfillment. So and I think too, Charlie, like the, what's interesting for me and, 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 and you're one of these people for me in my life is, is, you know, I think it's really important that your friends think and look and act a lot differently than you. Um, 
you know, th this is something that was the, probably the best thing about New York City for me, the best thing about San Francisco for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dude from the middle of America. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of exposure to culture. I lived a pretty sheltered life from 1 to 18. College was sort of the first time that my mind got opened up to different people and different genders and different sexual orientations and di different races and ethnicities. And, and I think that, you know, when I started to realize, and traveling too, right, it's like, oh, you mean you don't all go to like happy, like there's no, what do you mean there's no happy hour? Like you don't go to a bar from five to seven? Like there's, what do you do? You go to this, watch the sun, the sunset? Like the sunset is like your thing that everyone looks forward to from five to seven? So, you know, it's like, wow, okay. And then you start to go to the sunset and you're like, this is actually way better than a happy hour. But if you, if you never, if you never leave, if everybody looks like you and dresses like you and thinks like you and acts like you and talks like you and does the same things as you and drives the same car as you and lives in the same neighborhood, you never really push past that, that, that idea of, of what you are. And, you know, I feel like my, my closest friends are so drastically different from each other. And it, it, it's fun to sort of hear, you know, how they think about things and perspectives, right? And uh, perspectives on dating and perspectives on on work and perspectives on food and perspectives on like the Dominican Republic and even like perspectives on how families interact. You know, watching you and your mom and your sister interact is a lot of times educational for me about, oh, that's a good idea. I've never thought about doing that with my sister. But I think it's exposing yourself to a really radically different group of people and you have to do that from ages from races from sexual orientations from political views from everything um and that, that for me has been really important right and you've done that so much that you know one would one would argue and i don't know if you would agree but to you home is probably an illusion right home is yeah where is. home is where you're at because yeah that you've embraced so many countries, so many people, so many cultures. You can feel that home in Colombia, in Uruguay, in Hawaii now. Yeah. Is that yeah, I think, I think that's true. What I do typically when I arrive in a new place is, is pretty similar. You know, whether, whether I'm in Colombia or Hawaii or Uruguay or New York or San Francisco, I seek out... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm vegan, as you, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm very proud of that. I, I am very proud of what that represents. And I, I, I spend a lot of time in vegan communities just to meet people, to learn new dishes. So I think, you know, when I arrive, I kind of have my, my staple things that I do. I, I seek out the closest and most beautiful nature so I can go on hikes, I can go on swims. You know, in Uruguay, I was swimming in the freezing cold ocean all winter with a big group of people. And that was my community going back to your three pillars. That was a really special thing. We would swim almost every day. It was the middle of winter and we would swim in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. It was so cold, so invigorating. You know, that connection with nature. I have to have a connection with nature. I have to have a connection with the vegan community. I have to have a connection with my food sources. I have to have people that I can talk to. And, and then, you know, something around music and, and entertainment, if it's available, you know, COVID's obviously doing, making that a little bit more limited, but, and then, and then kind of a new hobby. But what I really love about being in different places is, and this is a phrase that, you know, even I probably used with you when I came and visited you in Jersey, is I just want to live in your world. Like people are like, what do you want to do? I want to live in your world. I want to do whatever you do today. 
And 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 there is when all of the magic happens. Mm. It's like I want to eat what you would eat for breakfast, and then all of a sudden I learn a new breakfast. Mm. I wanna I wanna go hike where you would hike. I wanna you know I wanna know what you're working on. I wanna know you know what do you and your partner do for fun? Like take me you know. And then what do you like to drink? And then all of a sudden your life is just becoming richer and richer. I I just kind of approach every day. I wake up in the morning, and I say like a quick prayer, and it's just let me be open to finding heaven on earth today. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing I say before I feet hit the, the, the floor. And, and then I go out, th- I go throughout the day kind of just imagining that this is my first day on planet earth, you know? And I look around and I'm like, if this was my first day here on earth, what would I be thinking and questioning and looking at? And why is that banana tree green, but the bananas are yellow? Like why, you know, what, what are, what are these things stars? Where do they come from? What is those? Oh, that's Orion. And you look it up. I swim in the ocean here and I find, I look at fish and then I go home and I Google the fish that I think that I saw. So now I know what they're called. Next time I can greet them. This sort of childlike curiosity, um, you know, and again, I'm running a business. I'm, you know, I'm busy with my business. So that, you know, some days I get to do, it's 10 minutes. Some days it's five hours, you know, sometimes I don't work for two or three days or two or three weeks. And, but I think that just doing the best you can to stay curious and doing the best you can to, to approach every day as a a new chance to learn from somebody or something is really fun. It's really fun. I've intentionally put myself in a position to actually learn something new. Um, every week and you know and I've started journaling so that I can actually hold myself accountable what are you doing this week I'm sorry what are you doing this week well I want to read this one book that I haven't finished yet Um, I also want to uh, write um, just freestyle write for like two hours anything that comes to mind just awesome just purge myself that's awesome the information, and I'm sure there's going to be so much useless information in that mind of mine, but but I want to be able to do that. And, you um, should totally, you should totally do a podcast where you just read what you wrote. Mm. Oh shit! I don't. <laughs> do you think that um, this special relationship that you have with other places, other cultures, other people, other experiences, uh, take you away from the pride or? the desire to keep yourself uh, updated with domestic affairs? Not z- zero. I'm not, I mean, no. My, my interest in domestic affairs only extends as far as are the people that I most love in the world unsafe? Mm. And if the answer to that question is no, then I, I mean, the, 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 the I, I am... You know, I feel so far removed from what's happening in the U.S. right now. Even though I live on Hawaii, it's, it feels like it's another country. I mean, it's you feel so far away. You are six hours away from California flying. Um, so, How no. The, right you're, you're five hours. Four, 4.37 p.m. You're, you're, you're five hours behind yeah. me. Right? Yeah. So, so, no, Charlie. I mean, I, for me, man, it's like there's a lot happening right in front of my eyes and uh, I'm interested in that, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm naive to the world. I do like to know sort of what's going on and, and, and what's happening, but 
man, there's, there's only so many, there's only so many hours in, in the day and only so much energy that you have to expand. And so I, I consistently ask myself, like, is, is this consumption of this content helping me help anybody or helping me, you know, make somebody's life better, including my own. And most of the time when I'm looking at domestic affair news, it's like, what am I going to do about this? I can't do anything about this right now. So what you're doing there is is that you're maximizing your human potential because the difference between us and, and other animals in the jungle is that we're able to prioritize information and prioritize what to think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's a great TED talk I just watched a couple weeks ago. It's this guy who was a very famous thief. He would he was like really good at, at robbing people in the streets. Mm-hmm. And he does this TED talk and in this TED talk he basically like grabs people from the audience, he steals their watch without them knowing. And then in the like towards the end of the TED talk, this guy like literally changes his entire outfit and no one really even notices. He's just like the master of deception. And I'm watching this TED Talk and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is actually how I feel about how outmatched we are with social media. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you've watched The Social Dilemma and all this, what what social networks have done is they've hired the smartest people in the world. And then they've invested billions of dollars into those minds. And they've basically hired them to make sure that you become addicted to social media. And that you become addicted to, to, to this reactionary lifestyle of, of dopamine hit after dopamine hit. And, and, you know, I have compassion for people that are sort of living their life reactionary. And, and I do. I live my life reactionary sometimes, too. And, uh, but, but I think the difference is I don't feel good about it when I do it. I feel actually pretty bad about myself when I'm living in a reactionary way. And so... You know, I, I try to create habits that will make me less reactionary. One of them being taking social off the phone. The other one being like, I'm not going to look at email until I get these things done. I mean, this is hard. Like, these are hard things for people. But I think that, you know, this idea of, you know, monkeys, you know, living in a reactionary way, it's not something that we want. I think in a lot of ways, we've been totally outsmarted and outmatched, much like, the people in the TED Talk that got their watch stolen, they just didn't have a chance. There was just no chance that that guy wasn't going to walk away with their watch, without their watch. Right. And um, and I think that knowing that, there's power, right? And so, like, I was telling my friends the other night, I took off Instagram off my, off, my, off my home screen on my phone. Bro, the next day, I think I opened up Spotify, which is now where Instagram used to be, 18 times. Yeah. Think about that. That's that that scared the shit out of me, bro. Like I opened up Spotify, bro. I opened up Spotify 18 times because Spotify was where that's how that's how reactive and how automatic my brain like I wasn't trying to listen to Spotify in the car on my drive downtown. Like and I'm just like, oh my god. And then the next day it was 13 times and the next day it was eight. And then, so I do think that we have some control, but I think that it's, it's a slippery slope, man. It's like, it's like someone that's addicted to substance, man. You know, they stop smoking. Absolutely. Weed. 
you know, and they cut cold turkey, but then all of a sudden they're they're consuming caffeine all day. Uh, with me, the other day, I, I you know, I uh, deleted the app for Instagram. Next thing you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm like, what am I doing? What is wrong? With yeah. yes, I'm being outsmarted right now. But um, but just like you, I, I've limited my social media for for many reasons. Yeah, it looks it looks like you're you're way less active than you right. used to be. Well, you know, one, and I I'm not sure if you know this, um, but there's a, a stalker situation that I had to like put the brakes on. And it got a little too Sorry to hear that. you know, and I'm still dealing with that now. So it just like really opened my eyes to like, you know, just mental health and like people are out there, you know, wanting to do harm, you know, whether it's emotional harm, whether it's, you know, posting photos of, 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 of family, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, not, you know, like I can deal with that, you know, I have a thick skin, but you know, um, you do. Yeah, I have a thick skin, but you do, yeah. But but when it comes to like family and close people, like, no, nah, you know, I don't play like that. So I've learned on social media to like not share as much for that reason. People are going through really hard times, you know. Yeah. And and I'm I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna include myself in that. Thankfully, you know, for for many reasons, I'm very fortunate. But um, I, I've gotten this on my timeline. People are just wanting to feel good about themselves. So mm-hmm. they're constantly either, you know, posting, they're, they're using, they're utilizing social media as a journal or mm-hmm. as a self-promotion. Um, I'm seeing a lot of like individuals selling a product or selling a service all the damn time. And then when yeah. you want to add to the promotion, the advertisement, uh, you know, being thrown at you, by Instagram and, and, and Facebook on your damn cell phone, you know, with their surveillance capitalism and data mining, forget about it, man. It's just super overwhelming, man. Super yes. overwhelming. So you talk on your phone, next thing you know, you know, you were talking about some Jordans, let's say, next thing you know, <laughs> yeah. Facebook, and there's like Jordan sneakers, they're ready for you to buy. Talking about 20% I know. just buy right now. And I'm like, what you got a, you got, if you got Amazon Alexa or Google in your, in your, in your home, you're, you're, they're listening too, man. It's like, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I think, you know, we, we assume that risk, right? Like we know that that happens and uh, there is no privacy anymore. And, and, and that, you know, we're in a lot of ways, we, we opt into that, right? I mean, anytime there's any sort of accept terms and conditions on my phone or on my computer, I scroll down as fast as I can, accept those terms, get that thing off my screen so I can continue on my day. So we're, we're saying yes in a lot of ways. I mean, there, no one's trying to confuse you that you don't have a say in this. You, you do, you buy, you buy the Amazon Alexa to put in your house and then you know that it's going to be listening. And so, you know, you do have some autonomy and you do have some control. Um, the question becomes, what do you do about it? And that's something that I am really hyper aware of. And it, you know, when I'm doing it well, the quality of my life soars. And when I'm doing it poorly, the quality of my life decreases. And that's just the truth. Of course. And that's corroborated by, you know, studies, um, that, that, uh, demonstrate that there's effects on mental health for, for anyone, for folks that are engaged in social media on high levels, you know, um, they're, they're attributing, uh, social media to the high rise in uh, teenage suicides because you know if, if, if we're adults we're full-blown adults and we're seeing what's happening and we're we're admitting to each other that we're being outmatched you know these teenagers don't have a fighting chance and no. 
But well, they I don't want to say they don't have a fighting chance because that feels helpless, right? I'm always careful with language because, you know, they don't have a fighting chance is sort of like a pass, right? We're giving them a pass to like, okay, right. well, I don't have a fighting chance. I think that if I if I was a teenager, if I was raising a teenager right now, I would try with everything that I had to keep them off the phones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up and we were playing outside until it was dark every day, you know, and, and there was no, you know, we had cell phone. I didn't have my first cell phone until I was, I think, 17, 18 years old. And that was not a smartphone. I didn't get a smartphone until my mid twenties, I think. So, um, you know, I think, I think that, that, that if, if you have teenagers that are listening to this, I think that the, the thing that I would say to you is, Nothing is as it seems. And the, the biggest danger for, for teenagers with the social world is that they're comparing themselves. If we're 38, 40, however old you are, like, you know, if we're 30 in our, in our 30s and we're still comparing ourselves and, you know, I'm, I'm stoked on my life. Like, I feel like I have a lot of confidence. I'm grateful for my talents. I, I like what I love my life. I love the direction it's heading. I, I'm proud of what I've done so far. And even then. Uh, I find myself at times getting caught up in this comparison game. And, and I think that what I would say if you're a teenager is like, guys, girls, it's not what it looks like on social. Like, I promise you it's not. Even, even some of my stuff I put up there and I'm like, man, this isn't totally reflective of what I'm really feeling inside. I'm actually having a little bit of depression or I'm feeling sad or whatever. And, and so um, I think that, that, that it's, it's a hard message to share, but it's, it's like, don't, don't get caught up, man. Don't get caught up. Live your life. Do, do the best you can do. Have some fun. Do something creative. Get outside, get your hands in the dirt, get your feet on bare earth, take a walk, take a hike, put your phone away and go for a two hour walk in a in a nature filled place. And, you know, and that's the other thing I really, really want to stress to people. And something that I'm tapping into big time is the power of nature. And, you know, nature's been around for a long, long, long time. All the answers are in nature. I'm listening, I'm reading a book right now called The Secret Life of Plants. And it's all about how plants can sense danger. Plants can feel when their fellow plants are being hurt or being dehydrated or whatever. You know, if you really want to know what the answer to your problems is, go outside and walk with trees around you for a couple of hours and you will find an answer. And it is just, don't take your phone out. Don't take any pictures. Don't take any videos. Don't take any selfies. The selfie world, the selfie world is just out of control. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are you doing? Just look at the tree, hug the tree, listen to the tree, watch the leaves sway, watch the leaf fall. Like there's so much, watch the little ants, insects running around the tree. Wonder what are they doing? What are they feeling? What there's so much curiosity in the natural world and there's so many answers and you come back and you're just clear. Right. And, and, and the other thing I'll say is like plan. And this is something I do plan on being with people, plan on it, make plans to be with people. You, we're, we're, we're social beings. And the more, we, the more time we spend alone, the more time we actually need this. The reason that we're reaching for this is because we actually want to connect with something right. and we haven't, we don't have the chance to connect with somebody in person, so we connect with, with this world, and it's just not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. And then we have to realize that, you know, we, 
we don't control our curiosity when we put ourselves in situations where we are being bombarded by unsolicited, by unsolicited uh, That's you know, right. content, you know, packed right. content, like you picking up your phone with no intention at all. You're gonna, you know, <laughs> times out of 10, you're going to end up in a rack. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and also... Fuck, fuck a rabbit hole, you're probably going to end up misinformed. You know, like this, the past two years is a um, a microcosm, not even a microcosm, a macrocosm of, of what happens when you get your information from social media. Like all these algorithms are out there based on geography. Like whatever I Google, if I was to Google a specific thing now, the results are going to be different based on my geography or my past searches. Um, yeah compared to yours in Hawaii and yeah. your churches. Next thing you know, we're both believing different, two different things. And, and, you know, and that's why, you know, shit is so divisive, man. And I think, I think, I think like what we're both saying here, and I think, you know, to give people kind of an actionable item that feels empowering instead of like, we're totally fucked is I think that we're both agreeing and, and I, I can't speak for you, but I can say my life gets better the less time I spend on social media. And, and that's not saying I don't use social media. I do use social and I And I actually do think that social media has benefits, right? I, I, I do, I've seen a lot of those benefits. But I think that the question to ask oneself is, am I using social media to show off and to paint a picture of my life? Or am I using social media to actually connect? You'll know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. And, and, and I think that regardless of what, what the answer to that question is, I think I challenge everyone that's listening to spend less time on social media and real time on the world, in the world. And when I say in the world, I mean like without your cell phone. Don't even take your cell phone out and just watch what happens. And, and if that, you know, if nothing else comes from people that are listening to this, like I just think your happiness will increase a lot and make specific proactive plans to do that. Like go out for a hike and say, I'm leaving my phone in the car because otherwise you, you got no, then, then you're, you're on the hike. You're like, well, it's just one picture. And then you see the message and then you see it. And then you're on, no, just make some hard and fast rules for yourself tonight. I'm having dinner with my buddy, Charlie. I'm going to show up, Charlie, where are we meeting? Seven o'clock. Good. I'll be there. I'm not bringing my phone. So I'll be there at seven thirty. show up. <laughs> You'll be there at eight thirty. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, and, and I think that you have to be almost that intentional. And that level of intentionality, I think, is what you have to do. And, and I think you, your, your life will get better for it. Man, so you grew up in Illinois. Yeah. Uh, you went to college in Indiana, was it? Yeah. To Butler, went to Butler, right? Butler yeah. University in Indianapolis. Then you yep. spent some time in the Bay before you went to yep. law school in Queens, right? Yep. Uh, yep. You lived in Washington Heights. And I know that because I witnessed you dancing merengue with an abuela one day. Um, <laughs> neighborhood. Uh, you know, you were also working as a speechwriter for Bloomberg at the time. Uh, speaking of Washington Heights and Dominicans, you, you've also spent some time in the Dominican Republic. Uh, yep. You were teaching at an orphanage. Yeah. So, so you know, kind of the the quick the quick background is uh, recruited to play college football. I was a I was a I was a quarterback in high school. Got recruited to play Butler. Butler was the the best offer I got. It was a Division One AA school, and uh, played football there two years. Really enjoyed it. Suffered a couple of big time concussions. Had to stop playing. Uh, at the time, it was kind of like life was over, and then I realized life was just beginning. 
started to meet professors uh, that would make me challenge my thoughts, studied abroad in Italy. And then I, I met a guy who said, like, hey, come to San Francisco and visit me. He was a good friend of mine from, from, from college. And I got there. And, you know, I've had this feeling three times in my life, right, where I've arrived somewhere and it was like, ah, I have to live here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened for the first time in San Francisco and then in New York and then happened in Medellin, Colombia. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I lived San Francisco. So I moved to San Francisco. I did a year of AmeriCorps, moved to New York City when I lived in Queens, went to CUNY, and then did a summer in the Dominican Republic where we were working on an orphanage in La Romana called Orphanato Niño de Cristo, which was an orphanage actually that has now received some funding from, from Mark Anthony. Um, and, and initially we went to sort of sort out some, you know, there was a lot of questions as to where the, if these orphan children were Dominican, Haitian, like where was their birth certificate? Without a birth certificate, that meant a lot of limited rights for them in education in the Dominican Republic. So initially we went to sort of try to help figure that out. And it, you know, that was a disaster. So I got there and I was like, there's no way that in three months I'm going to be able to do anything in this area because it is just so unorganized. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but what I noticed was that behind the orphanage where I was living, there was a big dump. I mean, it's five football fields worth of trash. And every single night people would bring their trash from all over. We were living in a pretty poor neighborhood in, San, in, in La Romana. And every night people would bring their trash and they would burn their trash. And it was just causing so many problems, respiratory problems for the, for the kids because there was massive amounts of smoke from 5 p.m. on. And so we, I said, well, this seems inhumane and it seems unfair and it seems like it should be illegal. And so we started working with local judges. We started working with local communities, lawyers, politicians. We got some press and media involved in Miami, in New York. And we started telling the story about this trash dump behind this orphanage that was causing a lot of problems. And we were able to close it down. Uh, and it was kind of the first time that I saw, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Charlie, because you, you know, you're Dominican and you've been back and forth so many times, but what you realize is from a very young age, I realized I was 23 at this time. I realized that the people that were in the local communities were so much more effective at knowing how to actually make change than I was. And so I would watch sort of, and you know, I'm not trying to take jabs at missionary groups or whatever. Well, I kind of, I kind of am actually, I I think that they're kind of dangerous. So there would be all these missionary groups that would come in and they would try to like, they would spend like an hour or two with these kids. They would bring them toys and, and then they would leave and, and, and then I would see these volunteer groups come in and try to do these projects, but there was zero sensitivity to the actual culture. There was zero sensitivity to the actual leadership. It was sort of like, this is how we do it in America. This is how you should do it here, and then it'll work. Mm-hmm. The truth was it didn't work. And so what I realized that when I was 23 is like, oh, my God, these local leaders actually know what they're doing. And so if I can... It was, I showed up with this idea of this project I wanted to do. But then what I quickly realized is like, I actually need to just kind of follow their lead, do whatever I can do with my skills. Maybe I can bring some press and media into this. Maybe I can do some messaging for them around the issue, but it was never, and it has never been since this is how you should do it. And now go do it because I just find that that culturally doesn't work. Right. And 
It was just like, here's what I'm good at. Can I help? And I feel like that's been the most important lesson I've learned living in these other parts of the world, which is not coming in as this like colonizer, you know, of like, I'm the white dude, you should listen to me. It's more like, I actually have no idea what I'm saying. I have no idea how change happens here. Teach me and I can contribute wherever I can. And I think that if we, if we started to like put that messaging out there a little bit more, I think that there would be just a lot more affected, effective change in the world. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause that's the, you know, that's a criticism that, that many of these, uh, uh, you know, locals have of these missionary groups that go in there and just start, you know, implementing their own ideals and uh, not really connecting with the children or the leaders in that way. So, or taking pictures of them. And it's, it's like there's a really great Instagram account called No White Saviors. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're really they're fantastic. I've learned so much from their Instagram account. And they really talk about the dangers of white people coming into communities of color and trying to overhaul them. And, you know, that there's a lot, you know, I'm on, I'm on a lot of journeys right now in terms of learning, especially because I I do, I do consider myself to be a global citizen, but I tread very, very lightly on this idea that I know how you should do it. Mm -hmm. And because I actually don't. And that orphanage experience taught me that. And Columbia teaches me that. And, Everywhere I go teaches me that. And um, I think that's a really important thing. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know a lot. I know I am good at a few things, and I do that as much as I can. But, like, ultimately, I think this level of humility is important for any kind of work that we do around the world. For sure. For sure. You know what? And I also want to see, you know, some of, uh, you know, Dominican-Americans to go back and, and, and do these types of, you know, uh, local, you know, community, uh, you know, projects um, and, and wanting to connect with, with the, you know, with the island in a way that is impactful, um, that doesn't relate to you going to the best resort, you know, yeah. laying on the beach and, and so forth. You know, I, I had a similar experience where um, I went on a medical mission and, and it was, it was great, man. it was great. And the connections that I've made there um, is something that I'm going to, you know, cherish for a lifetime and very humbling experience, just like you, you know, I went in there not knowing what I was going to do, not, you know, also understanding my privilege, um, but not letting that be um, the reason why I was the self-proclaimed leader of sorts. I just really right. wanted to be there to add to the change. Um, but you know, I wasn't taking up too much space. You know, I wanted them, because once I leave, they're the ones that have to deal with the problems, exactly. changes, and everything that has to happen in order for this change to actually occur. So, um, yeah, very humbling, eye-opening experience for me as well. Going back to these three pillars you talked about a little while ago, this idea of, like, doing things that you're good at and becoming master, mastering something that you're good at, I think it's really powerful. And I think that something that I sort of pride myself on, on, on doing a lot of is I think that I am able to help people bring that out of themselves. I think that I am able to find, you know, it's, it's what happens between the words, right? It's the, it's the pauses, it's the whispers, it's the look that you get from people when you're talking about something. And, and I, I'm, I'm a, an intuitive person 
and I observe a lot and, and I can sort of feel where, where oh, oh, wait, what did you just say? Like, say that again. And then I'm like, oh, there's something there. And I think that what I've really enjoyed a lot and, and a skill I've been able to bring to these places is like helping people kind of unpack that thing that they love, that they have deep down inside of their soul and then giving them the courage to pursue it. But then also like directing them towards some of the skill set that they need to acquire to be able to, to, to really do it well. And I think that that's really fun for me. So, you know, uh, an example is I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do a Fulbright project. I, I was awarded a Fulbright specialist um, grant and we're going to do it in Columbia Medellin with, with a group of, of 14, 15 and 16 year old girls, all of whom are single mothers. Now, if you're 14 and a single mom, you have almost a hundred percent chance of like never getting out of poverty. Right. Mm -hmm. But there is, there is an insane appetite for, for these girls that they have. They want to learn how to tell stories using movies and photographs and digital storytelling. Right. But powerful digital story, not like, look at my new braids. Like, no, like here's my story. This place helped me. We want to build this place up. So we're going to build out a digital media lab inside of this nonprofit where we're going to literally train these girls on how to set up a camera, how to shoot, how to edit, how to shoot photos, how to run social media campaigns, how to, uh, you know, reach out to people you want to interview, how to set up the light, how to ask questions, how to. And so these are these are life sets. And I, I and you know, the, the, the faces of these girls just come to life because now it's like. I actually love telling stories via photographs or videos. And then it's like, okay, that's great. But now what? Now what? Right? Oh, now I have a camera in my hand. Oh, now I can shoot. Oh, now I know that this shot is going to be really great with this light. And then I'm going to edit that. And then it's going to go out. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful. I know you had Kevin Lopez on your show before. I think Kevin does an outstanding job empowering young people to, to, to tell stories that matter and empower themselves to be, a, you know, what we need more than anything now that we, if, if, if the content is going to continue in the world and it will on these things, what we really need is powerful, true, authentic, changing, change making stories. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and less of like the selfie in front of the beach and more of like, here is the five foods that I ate to beat cancer. Here are the indigenous tribes you know, way that they stay happy. Here is a connection to nature here. And, and so how do you get those stories out? We have to train people to tell them. And I think that we have so much bad news. How do you do more good news? And so that's an example of, I'm not going to come in and tell them here, you need to shoot here. You need to stay on the camera. I'm just going to simply facilitate the experience. I'm going to bring what I've learned in a decade of being an entrepreneur in the digital media space and I'm going to let them run wild and have fun. And then when I leave in two months, they're still set up with some infrastructure. Right. And it's exactly like what you're saying. But I think it's it's one thing to say, like, Charlie, you can be a lawyer. It's another thing to say, like, you can be a lawyer. I'm going to give you an internship. It's another thing to say, you can be a lawyer. I'm going to give you an internship. I'm going to give you a paying job. And then it's another thing to say, you can be a lawyer. I'm going to give you an internship. I'm going to give you a paying job. And now I'm going to set you free to be your own practice. Right. That's sort of what happened to you. And here you, here you are today, a decade later, with a thriving legal practice, with a great podcast, with a great, you know, personal life that's full, lots of professional relationships. 
But somebody at some point said, like, you can be a lawyer, and here's how. And I think that that's the, not like you need to be the lawyer that I am, but here's how. I experienced your, this passion of yours for motivating others and um, to to be fearless and follow their hearts, man. You you pushed me to go out on my own um, (laughs) when, unfortunately, most of my friends were encouraging me to play it safe and work for someone else. And, uh, yeah. and, and your words were timely. They, uh, they guided me in making quite possibly the best decision I've ever made. And I, that makes I made, me super happy. Yeah, man. Look, I've made some terrible decisions in my life, so I, I guess I was due for a really good one. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it goes back to kind of what I said earlier about you have to surround yourself with different people, right? Like everybody was telling you no, and, and I don't know who was telling you no, but maybe they were all you know, Dominicans from Harlem as well. And I don't know, about, or, or well, maybe you know, not. Definitely from immigrant backgrounds where, where they're like, yo, you know, where there's a lot of focus on like getting a seat at the table, you know, getting, getting that yeah. job, staying in that job, you know, working for a corporation, making sure that you get paid, that, that you know, that you, know that, that you don't have to like be out there and fend for yourself. You know, and, and that was something that was brought on by, by parents as well. Like, you know, you go to, you know, you go to school and you, you land a good job. And, and for me to... Yeah, and you know, the, the irony of that, Charlie, is like, it's actually not what they did, right? Like, they came here, they didn't know the language, they started businesses, they had successful businesses. And, and they pushed every comfort zone way more than we could possibly imagine. And, 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 and I think a lot of that advice comes from a place of like, I know how hard that was. Right. right. Don't put yourself through it, man. Right. But you know, you know, but I'm a warrior, man. Like, like let me I know. war, you know, I know it's, it's in my nature to actually hunt for myself. You came through like a fucking prophet sent here from the heavens above to show, you know, to guide, to encourage me to, you know, go on that path. And I haven't looked back since, man. So I appreciate you. I'm forever indebted for the role that you played in, in making, in me making that, that decision that not only benefits me, but I'm sure um, is going to benefit, uh, you know, those that are closest to me uh, for many decades to come, right? Yeah, well, I saw it, I saw it super clearly. I mean, you're you're a natural born talent. You're a natural born leader. You're a natural born entrepreneur. And I think you know, if we take it from, uh, I appreciate your words, and I'm glad. I remember the conversations very vividly, and I, I remember believing you then. I believe in you now as well. It's equally, even more than I did then. And 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 I think that, you know. What I, I appreciate you saying those nice things about me, but really, and this is something that I want everyone to kind of, if we take it to a macro theme, you deep down in your heart knew you didn't want to work for somebody else. And the only reason that I really pushed you as hard as I pushed you is because I actually already knew what you deeply wanted because you knew it. Now, that's hard to, to it's not hard to feel. We all feel what we really want. I really believe that. At the depths of our souls, we know what we want. And this is what I've seen with thousands of people that I've worked with or hundreds of people I've worked with, thousands of people I've interacted with. At the core, we all know what we want. We really do. There's a lot of reasons we don't go for it. Some of them, most of them are, are probably not great reasons. 
Some of them might be. I mean, like, if if you want to be an actor and you have five kids that you're putting through college, it's probably not the best time to be an actor. Okay. In that situation, it's probably okay. But you're single. You didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you could always, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite quotes that a professor, a, law school, a college professor told me. He said to me, I said, you know, I, I want to move to San Francisco, but every single person that I know, aside from one person, lives in the middle of America. And I, why don't I, I, you know, I could stay in Chicago, I could get a good job, I could be with all my friends, I could continue to have a comfortable life. And, and going to California is scary, you know. I don't know anybody. It seems like a super liberal place. I grew up in a conservative Midwestern town. Mm-hmm. There was still some fear around that, like, open-mindedness. And I don't know. And he, he looked at me, he goes, Brian, you can always come back. Right. And then he said to me, but I suspect you won't want to. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I remember thinking, like, yeah, I guess you can come back to the Midwest. And then what I realized in retrospect when I thought about that quote more and more is that he wasn't talking about coming back physically to a place. He was talking about mindset. He was talking about an emotional connection to the depths of what you want. And when you leave a comfort zone and when you leave the safety that you've created in your mind on some sort of arbitrary and in some cases non-existent realities, when you leave that and when you go and you take a chance and you take another chance, take another chance and things start to work out for you, you start to realize it's actually not that scary and I actually don't ever want to go back to that place, even though I can. I don't ever want to go back to that place. And I think that that is something that I have felt into hardcore in the last two year, 20 years, two decades. And I feel like I saw it for you, which was you can always go back to that job working for the lawyer you're working for who gave you a great chance. And I know you're really grateful for him. And he was a great mentor, but it wasn't your ultimate destiny. And then you, you got your first client. I always say, what's the, you know, what's the first taste? Get the first taste. It's that first $1,000 you get from a client. It's that first time that you, the story that you wrote got published on your favorite publication. It's the first time that you sold a copy of your book or made that first $1,000 speaking. It's that first time that you get paid for something that you think you're good at, that you love to do, that you created your own path for. That's a taste. Mm-hmm. It's the person that writes you the email and says, Charlie, your podcast changed my mind. I'm a 15-year-old girl. Now I'm spending five hours less a week on social media, and I feel so good. Your podcast did that for me. It's a taste. Right. So get as many tastes as you can, and then you will never want to go back to where you came from. Sure. And that's evolution. What are the conversations with the folks that you've helped and you inspired over the years what are they like now during this pandemic? Are they reaching out to you? You know, I'm sure it's different. Yeah, some people are reaching out, right? They've lost their businesses. They've lost their millions of dollars in debt. I mean, you know, I have a lot of clients that range from a small entrepreneur, you know, solo practitioner to big businesses. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of people are, are suffering right now. And when they reach out, I just keep saying, like, just do what you can right now, you know? And I think that, that that's the best advice, you know, advice is so hard because you have to have so much context. Right. And so this question is hard to answer because it's, it's so highly contextual, but I think if I were to, to, to really try to summarize what I'm saying to people is like, it's going to pass. Things are going to get back to normal. Um, and, and what really matters right now is do whatever you can do to stay in the game. 
you know, and, and if that means you got to go take a job somewhere for a year or two years or three years, and that means you don't have to go into bankruptcy, or that means that you don't have to get rid of your business, you can go to the 40 hours a week in a job and then work on your business on the nights and the weekends, then do that. Like there, at this point, there is no shame in anything anyone is doing. Like no one's talking shit about anyone right now. Right. right. So it's actually the best time for you to take care of yourself. Like no one's going to be like, did you hear that Charlie went and got a job at some legal aid and he he's he's doing legal aid and his practice? No one's doing no one's doing that. And if they're doing that, then they have serious issues. And so, you know, I, I just say, like, do whatever you need to do to get by right now. If that means you need to go move into a smaller apartment, then do that. If that means you need to go live with your parents, then do that. If that means you need to go get a side job or a full-time job, then do that. Nobody's judging you right now. Do whatever you can. Everyone's No one's judging you really ever. Like, this is a big misconception people have. Yeah. People are wrapped up in their own lives. Like, people are so self-consumed that even if even if you call me tomorrow and said, bro, I got a job at some law firm, I'd be like, cool. Like, I just don't think that people place way too much emphasis on what other people are saying about them behind their backs, and it's just, it's just way less than you think. And it doesn't matter. It's like, okay, cool. You can say whatever you want. Like, if you're good inside, you're good inside. Yeah, and they're probably on social media, so they're probably going to pay that no attention after five seconds because exactly they're going to be bombarded with the next app or the next shiny object like and how do you how do you keep that this infectious energy that you have um this this uh-huh. unapologetic zest for life we talked a lot about nature about you know food good foods sustainable food uh, yeah are you are you big into like self-help books i'm actually curious to know the effects of, of breakups in your life, like if, mm-hmm. if that's also like awakened you, you know, just having these very intense relationships with people. Like what <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of unpack several questions there. So, so the, the, the first thing is uh, the zest for life, I think honestly comes from, the fact that I'm really grateful for my life. Like, I think I live a really unique life. I think I live a creative life. I've designed it, you know, and through a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but I've also designed it through a lot of grace and hard work, but also, you know, magic. I always say like, leave some room in your schedule every day for magic. And this idea, you know, I know people and I used to follow people are like, I have every single second of my day planned. I'm like, that sounds horrible. And, um, like that sounds so manufactured. And so, uh, you know, leaving some space for the magic helps me appreciate life more because it's like, wow, that was so cool. Today I was driving down to have a workout. I saw whales breaching and it was just like, man, that's cool. Like, wow, look at that whale doing flips in the water. It's like, oh my God, like, wow, you know? And so... You know, there's that self-help books. I don't read a lot of self-help books because I, I find myself to be kind of impressionable, meaning I start to consume – if I start to consume too much of somebody, I start to sort of morph into their personality, and that really scares me. Um, and so I have tried to really limit my consumption of other people's content. Um, I like to read, but I'm mostly reading for, like, creative – stimulus. So I like to read about food. I like to read about culture. I'm not going to like all of a sudden become 
the 13 different species of ferns in Hawaii, but I like to learn about them. Right. So, uh, there's that. And then, and then in terms of breakups, you know, I, I've always said my loves, my romantic loves have been life's greatest teachers for me. Um, I have had several intense romantic relationships. Uh, my most recent relationship was, was the, you know, the, the experience I had in order why, and we decided to go our own separate way in December, and we were both um, clear on that. And I think that you know, it, you learn things you love about yourself, and you learn things you hate about yourself. And I think that that is so important, you know. And and I think that something that I've realized is, you know, I am a really great partner in a lot of ways, and I'm a really crappy partner in a lot of ways. And I, you know. I have sort of beat myself up about the crappy parts more than I've given myself credit for the good parts. And so something I'm committed to this year, I'm aware, you know, I lose my temper. I get mad. I sometimes I sh- like, you know, I shout, I, it, it, I, I'm, I lose my patience. I can be selfish. Like I'm, I'm very clear on my blind spots. And I think that, you know, understanding why that's happening mm-hmm taking responsibility for it yourself. It's really easy to be like you. And I used to do this. And even in my last partnership, I was like, you made me. And then you realize it's like, no, actually like there's something in you that you need to heal. There's something you need to cleanse. There's something you need to emotionally develop. Right. And I'm fine with that. Like I, I'm fine doing emotional work. I've done a lot of emotional work over the last 10 years. I'll continue to do more. These last couple of years have been really heavy, uh, which, which has been fine. You know, I'm, I'm happy to do that work because I think that my future partner deserves it. I think I deserve it. I feel like shit when I, when I am mean to my partner, that doesn't feel good for me. Um, and so, you know, I think that in terms of my zest for life, I think they keep me honest. Right. And I think that, you know, I've written a few things even in the past where I'll share it with my partner or my ex partner. And she'd be like, it actually wasn't like that. And then I'll hear what, what she meant by that. And I'll realize, okay, she had a different experience than I did. And that makes me more self-aware to the fact that, like, there are two people involved with in, in interactions, and you do need to check in with the other person to see if they're also feeling the same way. And so I think that, you know, and, and then, you know, those are, the, those are the areas that I need to work and that continue to, will continue to work on. Um, you know, I, I have this feeling that, like, being in a partnership means I lose my independence, and it's something that I've really worked on and I felt less, I feel less and less of it with every partner. And I, you know, I've, I've achieved uh, sort of a feeling of independence in partnership, which is great. And, and, and so these are the things that I, that I'm working on, just like everyone, I'm not a perfect human and, and, and I acknowledge those and I think they're important. To work on. But I also think like seeing the world through the eyes of someone you love is just a gift mm-hmm. and hearing what she says about a movie or a favorite song or, you know, sharing life with someone is really special. And so I do want to, I do want to maintain openness around that. And I don't know when it happens, if it happens, I don't know if I'll be with one person the rest of my life. I don't know if I'll be with several partners the rest of my life, but I do know that no matter where I end up on that spectrum, um, I do know that I want to be the best version of myself that I can be for whoever that may be for however long that may be. And up until now, I've done a great job in a lot of ways, and I've done a crappy job in some ways, and I'm working on all of those. And I think that just being honest with yourself about that, but also not destroying yourself about it. Like, I found myself being really hard on myself in these last few months about all the things I didn't do well in my last partnership. And I kind of 
it's funny, this couple, like three or four days ago, we had a big full moon here and I just sort of released all guilt and responsibility for my own sort of self judgment around what happened. I'm clear on what happened, but I don't want to punish myself for it. I think that's important. And so that's, that's kind of a longer answer, but I do think that my romantic loves have been such blessings and such teachers for me. I always look forward to a day where, um, I know there's an opportunity to learn something, right? And especially, yes. you know, breakups are unfortunately a blessing in disguise when it comes to like really delving into things that you didn't know about yourself and learning yeah. and learning how you can change and you can improve um, for the sake of just like wanting to live with integrity, right? So Yes, um, that's exactly it. Wanting something with integrity. You want to make sure that what you're saying and representing to the outside world, you're living. And this is something that I really, like really blew my mind when I would not be kind to a partner in the past. It's like, how are you not going to be kind to the person that you say matters more than anyone in the world? And then you're super nice to people that are strangers. That makes no sense. And I, I found myself doing it before, and it's something that I'm really committed to not doing again. Yeah. Just going back to all the places, because I think this is interesting. You know, so, so you've had some time in DR, you know, you yep. came back to New York, you've lived in Brooklyn, you know, yep. Park Slope, you know, you, you left me your old apartment when you picked up your shit. Which <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate, because those years in yeah. Brooklyn, specifically in Park Slope, were were amazing to me. I learned so much. It just, it, it made me so much of who I am right now came through those experiences in Brooklyn and living in Park. Cool. Um, cool. And people that I've met, obviously. Um, and then you've spent some time in Colombia, Medellin, uh, working there. Uh, you just last year, you spent most of, I would say the majority of the year in Uruguay. Yep. Uh, and now you're in Hawaii. So, you know, what's next for you, brother? Is it, is it Tanzania? You know, something tells me it's not going to be New Jersey. It, 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 you know, Charlie, anything is possible, my man. You know, I, I'm open to the to the path that unfolds. But kind of, you know, like I said in the beginning of the conversation, what's next for me is is I'm here. I'm enjoying day to day life. You know, I'm my business is 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 thankfully doing great. Um, I'm I'm you know, helping people figure out what is their messaging, helping people figure out what is their story, helping them with their finding, you know, ways to monetize their dreams. I'm doing a lot more writing. Um, and so this is a great place to write. I'm writing a lot of, of my own stuff, but then I'm also helping. I'm doing some writing for other people and their, and their, and their blogs and their websites and their materials and, and, and helping kind of them tell stories. And then online conferences. And so I think, you know, for me, I, I, I'll probably be here, I don't know, for how long. Uh, could be six months, could be the whole year. Um, you know, this Fulbright project is supposed to happen in September of this year. Again, that's that has been canceled twice in the last year because of COVID. So we'll see if that actually happens. Right. Um, but, but yeah, man, that's that's kind of what's next. What's next is a lot more of... Uh, of of, of what I'm up to here, getting out into nature, doing my work, connecting with people, swimming, staying in good shape. I'm, I'm really committed to my physical fitness right now. Um, and, and staying, you know, strong and staying lean and staying, you know, feeling good and, and, and learning a lot of, you know, I'm cooking a lot and that's kind of what's up right now, man. Just, just enjoying the, 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 the time here on the Island. That's not a bad place to be. 
you know, no. for Hawaii. Yeah. But, um, you know, I yeah. can also see you in Austin, Texas, uh, but I don't know if it fares <laughs> well following Hawaii. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what. what I don't know. You know, you know, I'm going to say it right now, and I don't know why, but I, I have this. I have this draw to Guatemala. Ooh. And um, so, you know, maybe the next time we do a podcast a year from now, I'll be in Guatemala. It'll be fun to see where we end up, right? But I do have this, 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 this Guatemala keeps coming into my mind uh, for, I don't exactly know why, but, you know, the, the whispers of the angels should be respected. So I am, uh, I'm open to it. But like I said, you know, especially towards the end of 2020 where it was, you know, it was, it was difficult to get home to see my parents. There was a lot that went into it. I had to take various tests and then I had to quarantine and then I had to find a place to quarantine. And then I didn't know like how long to quarantine for and what if the test was accurate, then I did my parents are 71 and 68. So it's like, I didn't want to bring that, you know, and then after that, there was like some logistics about getting to Hawaii and getting a test. And so I was pretty logistically fatigued by the time I arrived here. And um, I just, I, I promised myself sort of that I wouldn't put myself through that again for a while. And so I think until things become a little bit clearer about travel and, and, and safety, especially for the people around me that I love, I, I'm not, I'm not keen on like planning a bunch right now. I'm just kind of enjoying being. Yeah. Great way to be. Are you still writing letters to your mother? I am every single month. That's a great memory. My mother and I are pen pals. We have been now for this is the seventh year. Uh, we have a, a letter we write to each other every month about life. And, and you know, it's funny that you say that. I, uh, it, it, by the way, anyone that's listening that still has a mom or a dad that's alive, I would highly, highly recommend from the bottom of my heart that you do this. I learned so much about my mom that I never knew. And it's so, it's probably the most special bond that I have with anybody in terms of just really, you know, there's so much about my mom and dad I don't know. And they're both alive. I know, Charlie, your mom's alive, your father's passed. And I know there's so many questions that you probably wish you could have asked him. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, you know, I just want to, I want to, I want to know everything. And so if you have a chance and a mom or a dad or a parental figure that's still on this earth, Write him a letter every month and ask him to do the same. And and the only rule is that you just share whatever's on your mind. There's no structure. Um, and, and so it's it's cool, too, because you're going to see pretty soon I'm rolling out a new platform uh, that I've been working on for the last couple of months. And it's it's called Love Letters to the World and its Keepers. Mm. And so I'm writing a series of love letters to the world. And uh, I do I do think that it will become a big part of the work that I'm going to do. It's sort of a dream of mine is to travel around the world writing love letters to the world and the amazing people that live in the world that make it a better place. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm going to start a Patreon page. Uh, if anybody wants to support, you know, email me, whatever, and I'd, I'd be so grateful. But um, it's this idea that there's so many good things happening around the world, and I want to share those stories. I wrote a love letter to Uruguay uh, that went – totally viral. I wrote this letter back in like August or uh, September went totally viral. Uh, literally bro. I got like thousands of messages on my social media from people all over the world that read the letter. CNN did an interview. They put, they put, you saw it was cool. It was cool, man. And, and then I realized, you know, 
this idea of love letters to the world, I've been doing this now for three or four years. I wrote a letter called Why Everyone Should Live in New York City. Also went viral mm-hmm. on Forbes.com. To this day, that was in 2016. To this day, I get, I get messages from people uh, that said, hey, I just landed at JFK thanks to your letter. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know who these people are, bro. And so it's incredible. And then, and then I wrote a, 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 a letter to Armenia on the 101st anniversary of their genocide, anniversary of genocide there that went viral. And so what I'm realizing is like these letters to the world that are going viral, there's something there and I want to do more of it. And I don't know how it unfolds yet, but I think that ultimately my dream would be to travel around either getting commissioned by, you know, different places that want to bring more exposure to cities or countries or people and partnering, you know, maybe partnering with an airline or partnering with a hotel chain or partnering with, you know, happy cow or some, you know, some other brand that wants more exposure and to travel around and, and live highly experiential moments and then write about them. Uh, so that's, that's a big dream that I'm working on and um, that's next too. And so, you know, writing letters to my mom is one beautiful thing and now I want to do it for the world. And I think, I think we're going to see something special happen. That's awesome, man. You know, um, you know, when you told me that I actually, I kept that in my mind cause I was like, well, my mother's a good writer, you know, in my, in my conversation, my interaction with my mother verbally is, is, is usually pretty, uh, <laughs> you know, but I wrote a letter to her telling her how much I loved her. Um, hmm. Also wanting for her to really start to meditate because I needed her to be calm and wow. focus on all the good things that that she has in front of her in this life you know um and and she took to that and and she was very appreciative of the letter um and you know i got her a book um the the power of now to like keep her keep her uh present and also i I gave her some meditation guides i also wrote a love letter to my older sister who um Uh knew who obviously had more experiences with my with my father who, who passed away when i was six you know, thanking her for being that vessel that that gave me so much information about, you know, my father. Um, and, and That's she, cool. She was super appreciative of that as well. So, I, yeah, That's awesome. I, I encourage writing love letters to family, friends. I encourage people to break the world record of, of saying I love yous, man. Like I love that. You know? But, um, bro, before we leave, because I know you're in Hawaii and you probably have a, a wave to catch. Um, <laughs> I want our listeners to leave here knowing a bit more about you intimately um, as to persons that have inspired you, like, you know, dead or alive, who mm. life just really resonated with you. Uh, it could be a, spe- a specific character trait um, that you wanted to emulate. There's so many people, man. And it's, I feel like, uh, you know, my parents obviously uh, uh, inspire me a lot. My dad you know, my, my parents each teach me such different things. My dad is just Mm. such a, such a, uh, dedicated man to his family. You know, you're lucky if you have somebody in your life that would do anything to make sure you're okay. And I have, I have a few of those people. My dad is top of the list. There's not like, I literally, there's nothing I could call my dad for and he wouldn't do. And that's special. My mom is just a force of nature, the most generous person I know. She taught me how to give. She taught me how to anticipate people's needs. Mm-hmm. She taught me so many things. And then, you know, my, my, 
really my family, I guess, is the answer. My brother, you know, has taught me a lot about loyalty. He's taught me a lot about how to go after uh, the dream that you want. Uh, you know, and he, he, we have very different visions of what that dream looks like, but he's going after his dream and he's making it happen. And it makes me super happy. My sister is just like the coolest, you know, you love her. I love her. She's the coolest, my travel buddy, my soul, my soulmate, you know, and, and then, and then I got, I got a, you know, a handful of, of really amazing friends, you included, who, who show me every day, uh, ways to be better ways to, to, to stretch. And I think that, you know, my buddy Alex that I'm here, you know, in Hawaii with you, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot, right. But, but what I, what I think I'd like people to, to, to leave with in terms of a life motto. And again, you know, I'm inspired by a lot of people, right. But have I, you know, dive deep into their life? I really want to emulate this person. No, because like I told you earlier, I'm really trying to have a creative experience and an authentic individual expression and I can get caught up if I get too consumed in the content world. But I will say this. I will say that um, if, if, I, if I was going to leave people with a thought or, or a kind of a life motto, it's just go for it. <laughs> like, just go for it, man. And, and, and listen to yourself, honor yourself, listen to yourself in silence, spend more time in silence. Meditate, get clear on what you want, get out into nature, walk around. And then at the, in the moment that you feel that little tingly in your stomach, that little, like, that little thing, that whisper in your ear, that, that, you know, God wink, whatever you want to call it, the minute you feel it, just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. And it'll, it'll all work itself out. And I think that the last thing I would like to, to leave people with is like, I have this, you know, you, you call it a zest for life that I have, and I appreciate that. What I think I have more than anything is this unwavering belief that I am protected by the universe, and I'm guided by the universe. And there are so many times that I should have been in highly problematic scenarios, or even dead, and it just has never happened. I've always landed on my feet. I think it's a combination of guidance and protection it's also a combination of amazing people in my life and i think that we are so divinely protected when our intentions are good and when we're going for our truth and i think that if you feel like your intentions are good and you feel like you're going for your truth everything will work out so just go for it my man so where can we find you, man, for our listeners? Instagram, Twitter, etc. Yeah, man. I'm on all the social worlds. I'm not doing social media, but but let's put that No, I, I still I still um uh, I still check it on my computer, but I just have you know block times during the week where I'm saying I allow myself time to get on Facebook and Instagram and I, I do do all the responding myself. Uh, I'm on everything. I'm on I'm on all social media, Brian Rashid Global. Uh, say hi, connect. Thank you for for being interested in what I have to say or what I can share. And if I can help in any way, let me know. And, and Charlie, thank you for having me on, man. I, I, I love you and uh, I respect you and, and I look forward to doing more with you and congrats on your show. And for everyone that's listening and that's still listening two hours later, thank you for your time. And uh, I hope that it brought some, some value. So thanks guys. I can tell it's late out there in Hawaii because your, your screen just went like, you're like, it's dark. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> My brother, thank you for all you do. Uh, thank you for taking the time out of your laid back Hawaiian schedule to come no check problem. me. I appreciate it. I love you, man. 
Um, let's, too, not, let's not let a lot of time go by before we get to speak again, all right? You got it, man. You got it. Love you, bro. Peace. All right. Love you too, brother. Peace.